0: the mysterious old radio listening society podcast The Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the
1: golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out.
2: Today we present the fourth in a four-part series featuring special guest appearances by our mysterious patrons. Our guest today is Evan. Hey, guys.
0: Evan is a generous supporter of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, and as a thank you, we invited him to join us for a discussion of an episode of his choosing. So, Evan, what are we going to listen to today?
3: The Lewis Spence Case from Richard Diamond Private Detective. This unusual detective series premiered April 24th, 1949, on NBC Radio, moving to ABC in January of 1951, before airing its final run of episodes on CBS in the summer of 1953.
1: Dick Powell starred as Richard Diamond, an ex-police officer turned wisecracking private eye. Powell was offered the role not long after recording the pilot for Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, forcing him to choose between the two nascent series. It's not hard to see why Powell went with Diamond over Dollar. The latter represented the perfect opportunity for Powell to combine his early musical comedy experience with his newfound success playing hard-boiled tough guys.
0: Powell began his film career in 1932 as a contract player for Warner Brothers, appearing in a number of small musical roles. The following year, he was cast opposite newcomer Ruby Keeler in the musical 42nd Street. The film was a hit, and the studio paired Powell and Keeler in six more musicals over the next three years, including Gold Diggers of 1933, Footlight Parade, and
2: Dames. By the early 1940s, Powell felt typecast and feared he was rapidly aging out of his squeaky-clean Boy Scout image. He auditioned for the part of Walter Neff in Billy Wilder's adaptation of James M. Kane's Double Indemnity, but lost out to another good-guy actor hungry to play against type, Fred McMurray. Powell's big break came in 1944 when he landed the lead in Edward Dmitrich's adaptation of the Raymond Chandler classic Farewell, My Lovely, making Powell the first actor to portray Philip Marlowe on the silver screen. His reputation for musical comedy continued to haunt him, though. Archeo insisted the name of the film be changed to Murder My Sweet, fearing Powell's name on a film entitled Farewell, My Lovely would make moviegoers think it was a light-hearted musical instead of a hard-boiled thriller.
3: Although far from a runaway hit, Murder My Sweet successfully changed the course of Powell's career. Critics applauded his tough but vulnerable performance, and Raymond Chandler himself considered Powell a better Philip Marlowe than Humphrey Bogart. Over the next few years, Powell starred in a number of classic noirs, including Cornered, Pitfall, and Cry Danger.
1: Richard Diamond, private detective, married the glib, hard-boiled banter of these later roles with the light comedy of Powell's early career. The epilogue to each story epitomized the program's dueling tones. No matter how deadly the case, Diamond celebrated each victory by sitting down at the piano and crooning a song. The end result is either charming or ridiculous, depending on your point of view. The Louis Spence Case was written by Blake Edwards, primarily known today as a film director.
0: His credits include Breakfast at Tiffany's, Days of Wine and Roses, and of course, the Pink Panther series starring Peter Sellers. Edward and Powell collaborated again in 1957 on a television version of Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Edwards supplied the scripts while Powell produced. The role of Richard Diamond was played by future Fugitive star
2: David Janssen. Now let's listen to The Louis Spence Case. Also known as the Mad Bomber from Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Originally broadcast March 5th, 1950.
3: It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices.
4: National Broadcasting Company presents Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective.
5: Mr. Diamond, the reason you're here is because I want someone to talk to the mayor. I don't know whether it was explained to you or not, but unless his honor has done away with himself by noon, a lot of people are going to get hurt. Including yourself? Oh, that doesn't really matter. You see, in making my escape, a guard attempted to
4: stop me. I had to kill him. Here's another exciting half hour with Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Starring Dick Powell.
6: Diamond Detective Agency, there's no corpse like an old corpse. Oh.
7: Rick, that's
6: awful. Yeah, but what am I going to do? I can't be witty and handsome at the same time.
7: Well, don't be greedy. Just concentrate on one
6: of them. Oh, you're pretty nothing today.
7: Why don't you come on over and we'll both try and improve?
6: Shame on you. You know I've got to work.
7: Oh, have you got a client?
6: Well, not yet, but I've set bear traps all the way down the hall. Well,
7: now, that's silly. How can you be sure you'll catch a client?
6: Well, I can't be, but, oh, I get so lonesome up here with no one to talk to. It's fun setting broken legs.
7: Oh, <laughs> you're
8: impossible. Diamond!
6: Oh, my gosh. What's wrong, Rick? Those traps. I think I've caught something terrible. Hmm?
8: Diamond, I gotta talk to you. Who is
6: it, Rick? Sergeant Otis. Says he's gotta talk to me, but I'll be darned if I'll teach him how. Oh, say hello for me. Uh, Helen says hello, Otis.
8: Tell her hello, then get off the phone. This is serious. Hey, what's with you? Somebody steal your catnip? Can't you stop being funny, Shamus? I mean it. This is serious. Hey, Helen,
6: I'll call you back. Why, is something wrong? Well, Otis looks worried, and he's making sense for the first time in 11 years.
7: Oh, well,
6: call me later and tell me about it. Bye. Bye. Now, Sergeant, what's on your personal mind? I want mind? you to come down to the station with me in a hurry. Of course, you'll think this is a silly question, but why? You remember Louis Spence. Louis Spence. About four
8: years ago, caught him running around sticking dynamite under the homes of some of our city officials. Oh
6: yeah, yeah, socialistic nut. Put him away, didn't they?
8: Yeah, crazy as they come. Well, he's out.
6: What do you mean he's out? If they cured his head, he'd still face a lot of years up the river. Oh, he ain't cured. Not a bit he ain't cured. You mean he busted out? Yesterday.
8: Now do me a favor and come on down to the station. Oh,
6: wait a minute. Wait a minute and take it easy. What's going down to the station got to do with Louis
8: Spence? He's down there with the lieutenant. Well, great. Put them both in fancy jackets and send them home. We can't. He walked in 20 minutes ago and asked to see the lieutenant. I didn't recognize him, so I let him in. Now we can't get him out. Why the devil can't you? He won't let us in, and he won't let the lieutenant out. He's sitting there holding a big bomb, and it's ready to go off.
6: Looks like a convention. Everyone's trying to think of something to well, do. why is Spence doing this? What's he going to do? Just sit in there? You'll really get a boot out of this,
8: Shamus. If the mayor don't jump off the top of the city hall by noon, Spence blows up the whole 5th precinct. What? That's
6: right.
9: Hey, Otis, get Diamond in there. It's 11 o'clock. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Rick.
6: What do you mean, get me in there?
9: Didn't you tell him, Otis? No, I ain't had time. Well, come on, come on. Why me? What do you want me in there for? Spence wants someone Levinson can give direction to. He says no cop. Levinson buzzed out and told us to get hold of you.
8: Okay. Uh, wait a minute. Talk to the lieutenant on the intercom. Spence won't know who's walking through the door and maybe blow the whole joint up. Otis, does you amaze me? I oh, ain't so smart. I was Spence's idea. Come on. Here. Go ahead. walk Rick? Yeah?
10: Wait a minute. Diamond's outside now.
5: Okay? Tell him to come in. But just him.
10: Anyone else? Okay, in... okay. Rick, come on in, but no one else.
6: All right. Order, oh, stick right here. I may want to talk to you. Sure. Uh uh,
8: Diamond. Yeah? on uh, nothing.
6: You're so right.
10: Hello, Rick. Walt? This is Mr. Lou Spence, Rick.
11: Mm-hmm.
6: How are you, Mr. Diamond? What's the matter, Spence? You want an early Fourth of July? Rick,
5: you think I'm kidding, Mr. Diamond? You think I'm not serious about this thing? Is that the bomb? Right here in my lap.
10: He's got it rigged so it goes off the minute he relaxes his hand.
5: You see, I thought maybe the police would want to take it away from me. If you shoot me, try to knock me out,
6: well, it goes off. Then you won't mind if I take a look, huh? Rick, please. Stay
5: right where you are, and I'll stay over
6: here. Uh, well, just, uh, just as you say, Mr. Spence.
5: Mr. Diamond, the reason you're here is because I want someone to talk to the mayor. I don't know whether it was explained to you or not, but unless his honor has done away with himself by noon, a lot of people are going to get hurt.
6: Uh, including yourself.
5: Oh, that doesn't really matter. You see, in making my escape, a guard attempted to stop me.
6: I had to kill him. He split his head open with a crowbar. That's right. Oh, well, mind if I sit down?
5: Not at all. But it's four wow. minutes after 11. I hope you don't plan on staying too long. Cigarette? No, thank you. Uh,
6: you look like a pretty reasonable guy, Spence. I...
5: thank you. It's too bad Lieutenant Levinson didn't think so when they arrested me. Now I'm going to have to show him I'm not as insane as he thought I was.
6: Oh, well, you'll have to excuse that, Spence. Walt thinks everybody's a little... Well, you know, even me.
5: That's very interesting.
6: Oh, and with good reason. Ever take a look at his sergeant?
5: Mr. Diamond, when the lieutenant arrested me, I was putting an explosive under the mayor's house. He stopped me in my first attempt to rid the community of a political Judas. But now, as you see, I have a second chance.
6: You really think the mayor's going to jump off the city hall?
5: He better. And by
6: 12 o'clock. By the way, you have 55 minutes. Now, uh, look, Spencer. Forget I...
5: it, Mr. Diamond. I know just what you're thinking. How to get me without the bomb going off. You'll never make it. It's too well thought out. I've planned this for four years.
10: In case you're wondering how much dynamite he's got, Rick,
5: Oh, Mr. Diamond needs convincing. Well, under this overcoat, Mr. Diamond, are some 100 sticks. Uh, Uh, does the mayor know about it yet? Yeah. Oh, you
6: want me to talk to him, huh?
5: I don't care whether you talk to him or not. I just want you to be there when he jumps. Swell. And just because you come back and tell me he's jumped, that isn't enough. I want his body in this room.
10: Uh, Walt, I, uh i don't know what to say don't say anything rick just get out of here i'm sorry i dragged you over but i needed time you still do
5: it's 54 minutes to 12. clear the building rick yes do that mr diamond i think the lieutenant is going to make a hero of himself uh, look spence i've uh i've got till 12 o'clock haven't i unless someone tries to get me oh well, good. well then uh
6: sit tight walt and give me till 12. okay rick
5: i hope you spend the time wisely I'm sure you'd rather see the mayor die than your best friend. Oh,
6: Spencer, if you forget about
10: this, they'll probably just put you
5: back. Goodbye, at... Mr. Diamond. Fifty-three minutes. Okay.
10: Well, go ahead, Rick. Like you said, fifty-three minutes.
5: Goodbye, Mr. Diamond. Come back soon.
12: Otis.
9: Yeah.
6: What's going to happen? Clear the building.
9: Well, what about it, Rick?
6: Lieutenant, wants the building cleared.
9: Okay, come on, you guys. Levinson says clear the building, All so right. we we'll clear the building.
6: Good luck, Rick. Thanks, Charlie.
8: Okay, what do we do? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? It's ten minutes after eleven. In another fifty minutes, this whole building is going to get blown higher than a kite.
6: Okay, do something.
8: Huh? Well, go ahead. Well, I... You
6: see, Otis, you're in just as tough a spot as I am.
8: Yeah, but you're smarter than I am. You can usually come up with something. Well, usually my problems are a puzzle, Otis.
6: Spencer's a problem and a puzzle. I don't know about guys like him.
8: Well, for Pete's sake, who does?
6: Now, that's an idea.
8: Huh?
6: Stay here and keep close to the intercom. Don't let the lieutenant get any crazy ideas.
8: Uh, Hey, wait a minute. Where you going? You're acting screwy. Well,
6: Otis, I'm going to go see someone who takes care of people who act screwy sometimes. Well, that's the story, George. You're a psychiatrist. What do I do now?
9: Well, we solved your problem with that little blonde dancer in Flatbush. Maybe we can do something about this. Mm. Of course, she didn't have a hundred sticks of dynamite.
6: Oh, she didn't, huh? What do you think I talked about for six weeks on that couch over there? <laughs> Look, George, this isn't anything like that. This is a real mess. Now, Rick, take it easy.
9: It's only a mess because you're used to working with something that has a pattern. Maybe not at first, but you know there's one there and you set out and find it. But with Spence, you feel there's no pattern.
6: Oh, there's a pattern, George. Just wait for 38 minutes, then duck. There's no possible way to get the bomb away from him without it going off? the way he tells it. He only has to relax his hand. Mm,
9: That's the way he tells it.
6: Well, I'm not going to take the chance and call him a liar. If I only knew for sure just how that bomb worked, I could reason with him.
9: Well, before you can reason with him, you've got to know something about him. And what do you know about Lewis Spence?
6: Arrested a couple of years ago for planting dynamite under the homes of some of our more prominent city officials. Found insane, sent to the state asylum, killed a guard, broke out. Turned himself into a human bomb and took a seat in the 5th Precinct police station.
9: That's all? Well, isn't that enough? Well, I'll tell you what, Rick. I know Dr. Carroll at the State Asylum. Suppose we give him a call and see what we can find out. You think it'll help? I don't know. It might.
7: Long distance.
9: Operator, this is an emergency. This is Dr. George Thacker, and I want to speak to Dr. Robert Carroll at the State Asylum immediately.
11: What was the name
9: again? Dr. Robert Carroll. One
11: moment.
9: It'll be a minute, Rick. What time is it? Oh, 25 after. You got another phone here, George? Yes, I've got several lines in the other office. Good, I'll make a call. Let me know when you get Dr. Carroll on the line. Operator, would you please, Harry? I hate the use of the expression, but this is a matter of life and death. You're on my line, Rick. Use of the other phone.
6: Otis?
8: Yeah, where the devil are you? It's almost 11.30.
6: You talked to the lieutenant since I left?
8: Yeah, once. He wanted me to get out of the building.
6: No, you just stay put until I get there. I don't want Walt to try anything stupid.
8: Yeah, well, I want to know what you're doing. I'm
6: trying to get an idea, Otis. Just one little idea.
8: Trying to get an idea? I
9: suppose you've been spending the last 20 minutes sitting in Central Park waiting for one to come to you. Rick, come in here and pick up the other phone. I've got Dr. Carroll on the line. Bye, Otis. I've explained the situation to him. I won't interrupt him unless I think it's necessary. Fine. Uh, uh, hello, Dr.
6: Carroll? Mr. Diamond? Uh, that's right. Now, uh, Doctor, I, I really don't know what good this is going to do, but tell me everything you know about Lewis Spence and as fast as possible.
8: Well, first of all, he's an aggressive paranoic with homicidal tendencies.
6: Mm-hmm.
8: He feels persecuted by society, or uh, rather by those who help to govern society. Why does he feel this
11: way? He believes in a great many things, all of which he thinks himself capable of achieving.
8: Our paranoiacs are frustrated to a point where they perhaps imagine themselves as capable artists or uh, great scholars, such as in the case of Louis Spence, uh, society being his judoscope.
9: Pardon me for interrupting, Bob, but don't you think Spence is capable of doing this sort of thing?
8: Oh, absolutely, George. You see, he's doing this whole thing purely because he enjoys the agony of it, but he's nonetheless ashamed
9: But
6: uh, what about the mayor jumping off the city hall, Doctor? Just to be ridiculous for the moment, what if his honor did jump? Would Spence then give up the bomb?
8: I doubt it. If the mayor jumped, it would give Spence a certain amount of satisfaction. But I still think he'd set the bomb off as a climax to his own cleverness and persecution.
9: Pardon again, Bob. Any usual therapy that you used on Spence?
8: Mm, Yes, as a matter of fact. uh, Spence, as I've said, imagined himself a great talent... And uh, he seemed to lean particularly toward the more artistic accomplishments, such as painting and music. Uh, in his quieter moments, we saw that he had a radio.
9: How does this music affect him, Bob? Hmm?
8: He allows it to lull him into a sense of security. Sometimes he even believes he's written it. Uh, you see, Mr. Diamond, he believes that his environment is against him. That it is trying to debase, degrade, and persecute him. He fights off any acts of moral turpitude by becoming the thing he imagined.
6: Oh, I hate to break it up, boys, but it's 25 minutes to 12. I, I've got to leave. Thank you, Doctor.
8: I hope I've been some help.
6: Well, you've given me an idea anyway. Goodbye.
13: Oh, miss. Just a minute, just one minute. I'll
6: be right you. Oh, look, I'm in a hurry.
13: You're in a hurry. So's everybody else. You'll have to wait until I'm through with this gentleman. Sweetheart. Now look. You look. Oh, a badge.
6: Yeah, now this is police business. Got to be in a hurry. Is that clock right?
13: Yeah, it's a quarter to 12.
6: 16 minutes to.
13: All right, 16 minutes. You want a split hand?
6: No, I want a portable phonograph and quick.
13: Okay, okay. Here's one right here on the counter. Three speeds, interchanging. I'll take You're... it. Okay, I'll go back to the storeroom and get you a new one. Uh,
6: forget it. I'll take this one.
13: Look, mister, we got a policy here. I can't say you're nothing off the counter. Supposing it don't work when you get it home.
6: You'll hear about it.
13: You see? That's just what I mean.
6: Well, does it play now?
13: Certainly, like everything. Listen. Oh, boy, that's Pete Rugolo's new arrangement. He's crazy.
6: Okay, okay.
13: Hmm. Don't dig it, huh?
6: Give me a record by uh, Debussy or Ravel. Oh,
13: no wonder. Well, let's see. We, uh, we got the Engulf Cathedral by booth No,
6: no. Something and... with a little more excitement. Oh, I...
13: All right, all right. I'll read them off. booth or Ravel? Ravel. Mm-hmm. Uh, La Waltz, I guess. We got Bolero. I'll take it. Which one? The Bolero. Okay. I'll have to play it for you. I've heard it. So what? It's another policy of the store. There might be an imperfection. Give scenario. me the record. Hey, don't get so grabby. Now,
6: look, dear. You want me to have you locked up for obstructing justice? Huh? Well, unless you give me that record and this machine, this one right here, I'm going to snap the cuffs on you and haul you down to headquarters. Oh. You want me to do that?
13: Oh, you can't.
6: All right. What's your name?
13: Well, take the machine and the record.
6: Thanks. And charge it to Lieutenant Walter Levinson, 5th Precinct, Homicide Division. If it works, you get paid. If it doesn't, don't even bother sending over a repairman. man.
8: Oh, my gosh. you know what time it is? What exactly? Exactly six minutes, too. What the devil you got there? A phonograph. A phonograph? You talked to Walt since I left? No. Now, what's the idea with a phonograph? Hunch, Otis. Maybe we can save this
6: whole mess. Well, for Pete's sake, can I help? Sure you can, Otis. Now, take this machine in the other room mm-hmm. and play this record. You know how it works? Well, I can find out. You got less than five minutes to find out, so make it good. I don't want to hear anything until you're ready to let it play all the way through. Okay. Uh, uh, Diamond. Yeah, yeah, go on, go on. W-
8: whatever you're gonna do, if, if I louse it up, I louse up everything, huh?
6: You won't louse it up, Otis. Oh, I'm so stupid, but I'll try. Otis. Yeah? You don't have to wind it, just plug it in.
8: Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard about them kind.
6: All right, then, get going. Okay. Yeah? Walt, it's Diamond. What's up?
5: Captain Lieutenant.
6: Oh, I'm getting sick of this. Walt. Yeah? Relax, I want to come in.
5: How about it, Spence? By all means, have Mr. Diamond come in. All right, Rick. You have some news for me, Mr. Diamond?
6: Well, in a way, yes. uh, Mind if I sit down?
5: Not at all.
10: Um, How do you feel, Walt? Uh, Dandy.
5: I'm afraid the lieutenant is growing uncomfortable. It is getting late, isn't it, Lieutenant?
10: Rick, I want you out of this building. This crackpot is... What?
5: Been... Oh, wait a minute now. What did you wait a minute. Me? Now, look, I've taken what enough... What it make now at 12 o'clock? Well, well,
10: sure it
6: does. Why? Because the mayor may jump. What? Yes, he's locked himself in his office. They can't get him out. He just may jump. Oh, really, Mr. Diamond? Well, what's the matter?
5: I know the mayor won't jump no matter how many people die when I release this trigger. I just want him to have to face it the rest of his life. I want everyone like me that his kind won't let fulfill their potential talents to realize what a Judas he really is. What all men like him really are. Well, you know, that makes sense. Don't try to get on the good side of me, Mr. Diamond. I know what you think about me. I know what you all think. It doesn't make good sense to you or anyone else. How could it? You don't understand those of us who have a truly great talent. Well, I'll buy that. I don't understand it. Of
6: course not. Well, maybe he doesn't, Spence. But how do you know? Maybe I do.
5: Stop playing, Mr. Diamond. Look at the time. Five minutes. Five minutes. Five minutes and I become a martyr. We'll all get blown to kingdom come. Rick, get out of here.
6: All right, Spence, I'm going to prove you're wrong. Rick, for the love of... Shut up, Walton. All right, go ahead, Mr. Diamond. What are you going to prove? I'm going to prove that I know more about you than you think.
5: Of course you know a lot about me. Criminals have records. Oh, I
6: don't mean that. I mean more about yourself. What you think, your, your talents. What do I think, Mr.
5: Diamond? You fool... How could you know what I think?
6: Because a talent like yours is easy to spot.
5: Four minutes, Mr. Diamond. No, it's not hard to tell about people like you. People like me? What about people like me? Well, I, uh,
6: Spence, I meant that, well, there, there are not many of them. there. They're few and far between. They're... they're gifted. What? Certainly. There's something you have that very few are lucky enough to be gifted with.
5: Oh, Rick, please. Nearly 12, Mr. Diamond.
6: I can tell... That you were an artist, Spence. An artist? Yes, and a very good one. How do you know this?
5: Very few people spot it.
10: Do they, Spence?
5: Very few. You surprise me, Mr. Diamond. He surprises me, too.
10: Walt, keep quiet.
5: Yes, Walt, keep quiet. It's two minutes to twelve, Mr. Diamond. You can leave because maybe you have been honest with me. Perhaps you do recognize something that... uh... Uh, uh,
6: uh, What's the matter, Spence? Uh, music. Music? I don't hear anything.
5: <laughs> music. Beautiful music.
6: Oh, I don't hear a thing, Spence. Do you, Walt? No?
5: Oh, you... You must hear it. It's beautiful. Don't you hear that wonderful rhythm?
6: Ah, uh, you see, Spence, we're not as lucky as you are.
5: No, no, no one is. This is my music. This is what I would write if it wasn't for the people who won't let me.
6: What does the music sound like?
5: Oh... Poets' words. The power and strength of death.
6: It makes you imagine things, doesn't it?
5: Yes, yes, oh, yes.
6: You hear the music and you become powerful. Like making that bomb. Not just anybody could think of that. It takes genius.
5: You understand. You do understand. Well, of course I
6: do, but I'm still amazed. There you sit with the power of life and death in your hands and no one can do a thing. It must be wonderful.
5: It is. Like the music, it's wonderful. In seconds, we'll all be torn from our earthly bonds, taken away from this dirty, filthy world to a place of clean, wonderful things like that music.
11: No,
6: but you, you... You're an artist. How could you ever take a thing like that bomb and put it together?
5: A thing like this bomb? Oh, this is a masterpiece.
6: Just looks like a small box to me.
5: Oh, it took me weeks. Just a small box... Oh, no, you see, if my finger relaxes... Yeah, I know about that. But this took genius. It's not just relaxing my finger. It's how I put it together so as to get the required result. It's like the hammer action on a gun, but it's reversed.
6: Well, I'll be darned. You mean when you release your finger, that makes the hammer fall?
5: I can see you appreciate things of genius. I wish you could hear the music, too, Mr. Diamond. You'd really appreciate that. It's so wonderful. Well, tell me more
6: about the bomb. When you release your finger and the hammer falls, what does it hit?
5: Well, that's a simple part. I'm surprised at you. Oh,
6: I just wanted to hear you tell me. After all, you invented it.
5: Yes, it strikes a cap. It's that simple. Simplicity can be beautiful. Don't you agree?
10: Ah, absolutely.
5: Listen to that music. It builds and builds.
6: Tell me, Spence, what would happen if something got in the way of the hammer? I mean, between the hammer and the cat.
5: Nothing can't. There's nothing big enough in the box that the hammer wouldn't tear right through. Simplicity, Mr. Diamond.
6: I'd sure like to take a look at it.
5: Of course. There's nothing you can do. So by all means, look. Well, you've got glass over the end of the box. That's right. See my finger on the trigger? If I release it, that hammer falls and strikes that cap. Why the glass? So I could look in when I set it and see that everything was all right. Oh, that's very clever. That music is getting so big I, I I can't think. What time is it?
6: Plenty of time, Spence.
5: Yes, yes. When the music finishes.
6: It's nearly done now,
5: the, What? I thought you said you couldn't hear it.
6: It's a phonograph from the other room, Spence. What? Tell me, Spence, what happens if I jam my hand through that glass between the hammer and the cap? What, what, that music! That music! Got him off, got I him. Got him. <laughs> there you go.
11: Otis,
5: Otis, you
11: Otis. don't understand, Otis. you cheated, you did you
10: did lie. It like let me go, let me uh, go. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, that does it. Otis, take him away. With pleasure. And you, Rick. Yeah? How'd you know that music at work? How'd you know you could stop that hammer? How'd you know you wouldn't, wouldn't? Oh, did you hurt your hand? Well, of all the swell, stu- Well, did
6: you? No. Well, all right. You just bet it is. Goodbye. Hi.
7: Rick, what are you doing here?
6: Oh, now, that's nice. Stop by my place some afternoon and see what kind of a welcome you get.
7: Oh, I didn't mean that. I meant, what are you doing here so early?
6: Well, things were getting boring. I thought I might come over and... Beat you up or something.
7: Oh, now, isn't that
6: sweet?
7: Oh, Rick, what in the world have you...
6: Hmm? Oh, oh, the hand? Oh, it's nothing.
7: I know, red heart, but what did you do to it?
6: Well, I, uh, I kind of hurt it.
7: Yes, I can see that, but how?
6: Playing the piano.
7: Oh, how could you hurt your hand playing the piano?
6: Well, you know how I live my songs. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, truthfully, I was, uh, I was singing The Brother of the Wild Goose. And I got to that part about a wandering foot or a heart at rest and... While I was trying to make up my mind. My heart was resting, but my foot wandered up on the keyboard and stepped and on stepped my hand. And stepped on your yeah, hand. that's exactly what happened, yeah.
7: Well, I think you've got that bandage on just so you won't have to sing anything.
6: Honey, have you ever seen me not want to sing?
7: Well, sometimes it's a struggle.
6: I don't even know whether I can play or not.
7: Well, why don't you find out?
6: After lunch.
7: Before lunch.
6: Before lunch. Well, maybe I don't need that finger.
12: <laughs> Go on. Love is a flower that blooms so tender Each kiss a dewdrop of sweet surrender Love is a moment of life enchanting Let's take that moment that tonight is granting There's no tomorrow when love is new Now is forever when love is true So kiss me and hold me tight. There's no tomorrow. There's just
6: tonight. You like that?
7: So pretty. Thank you. Oh, that reminds me we're having spaghetti for lunch.
12: Oh, good. kiss me and hold me tight There's no tomorrow There's just to
7: Now, tell
12: me, how did you
6: hurt your hand? Simple, simple. I was grabbing.
7: Grabbing?
6: Mm Mm-hmm. Like this. Come here.
7: Oh, Rick.
10: Oh, of all times. Hello? Hello? Walt? Yeah, I just thought I'd call and... Oh, you did,
6: did you? Well, you sure picked a nifty time to do it.
10: Did I bust up something?
6: Yes, you did bust up something.
10: Well, you don't have to get sore.
6: Well, who's sore?
10: I am. That's the last time I let you do me any
6: favor. Okay, okay, if that's the way you feel about it, goodbye.
10: Goodbye.
7: Well, what in the world was all that about?
6: Oh, well, honey, you see, it's like there's Walt got in some trouble, and I, well, I helped him out of it. No, well, you see, I don't want him to feel obligated. But, well, that's not actually it. He, he doesn't want me to know how he really feels. I, it, what, oh, what am I trying to explain it for? I don't understand it myself.
4: You have just heard Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Ed Begley played Lieutenant Walt Levinson. Also in the cast were Wilms Herbert, Francis Robinson, Stanley Waxman, Cynthia Corley, and Paul Dubois. Music was under the direction of Frank Worth. Today's show was written by Blake Edwards and directed by Russell Hughes. Dick Powell currently may be seen in the motion picture version of the best-selling novel, Mrs. Mike. This is Eddie King inviting you to be with us next Sunday at this same time, when we will again bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. There's more great listening in store for you today on NBC You'll hear the hilarious Phil Harris and Alice Faye show And this evening on Theater Guild on the Air Gertrude Lawrence and MacDonald Carey will star in Lady in the Dark Next,
0: hear guest star Deborah Alden on The Harvest of Stars on NBC That was the Louis Spence case from Richard Diamond, private detective, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And we are continuing our series of Patreon. I was going to say customers. I don't think that's the right word. (laughs) Just Patreons, right? Supporters. Supporters. People who uh, allow me to work less. And Evan, once again, thank you so much for being with us on our podcast today.
3: Thanks so much, guys. This is a Really, really fun to be on the other side of the mic with you guys.
0: Awesome. So let's just start. Uh, you picked this, Evan. Just tell us why you picked it.
3: I think the first thing is that I think that uh, Richard Diamond as a series is really fantastic. And I think it's it's maybe been underrepresented on the podcast so far. <laughs> <I've>, not represented? <laughs> not represented. <laughs> um, I think that it's a, a particularly interesting series and, and a, ahead of its time in some ways. So I think it's really for a podcast about mystery and suspense shows. I think it's, it's perfect. And I also thought that uh, maybe Eric in particular would enjoy something that was like, I have a hero, I have a villain, <laughs> I have a ticking clock, and I have a resolution, <laughs> and I know exactly what happened, and it's
2: over. Yeah. <laughs> I predict he bails before the song, but otherwise you nailed it. Yeah. It, it,
0: there's a lot to go over. I would say, though, just off the top, that Richard Diamond is not something that I have listened to a lot of. And Joshua just kind of hit the nail on the head. The one thing that I have an issue with is the need to give him a song. And I get it. That's what's selling that thing back then. But when the song comes, I'm like, ah, man, we could have had four more minutes of suspense or a fist fight or
2: a car chase or something. (laughs) (laughs) He was playing with a broken finger. I mean, that was kind of suspenseful at any moment he could have stopped playing and had sex with his girlfriend <laughs> it's <was> very suspenseful
0: <laughs> so uh, let me ask you this evan you like this series you've listened to a lot of them so i do you like the singing parts or do you also say uh ah, that's just something i deal with because i like the rest
3: of it i think that's how it starts i would be curious to talk to other richard diamond fans but i think It's beyond cheesy and it's completely tone deaf because they always cram it in at the end after there's been a fistfight or in this case, like a hostage situation. (laughs) And he just he just goes home and sings. I think that what's fun about it is that it, it starts to grow on you. It really does fit his kind of like smarmy persona. So it's sort of like watching old episodes of a 90s sitcom where you sit through the, the theme song even though it's really dated and cheesy. It's like after a while you're like, oh,
2: I'm not going to skip the Friends intro. <laughs>
3: it's, kind of, it's kind of like that.
2: It's really fun. <laughs> I just like it because it makes it something different from the other private eye stuff that was on the radio. And I think within the historical context, this was a time in which the airwaves were crammed with private detective shows. They were – really popular so this was a way to delineate it and to underscore the star they had in the lead role who was known outside of radio whereas a lot of the other folks that were doing private eye stuff like Gerald Moore i should of course know who was playing sam spade at the time i totally blanking listeners will yell at me later but these were well no- oh howard duff well-known radio actors but not movie stars the way dick powell was so
0: you can just go in and edit you saying howard duff earlier in that sentence <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're just really clunky. Howard Duff. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> it's interesting you say that, Evan, about the hostage situation and cramming in the song and going back and singing. I'm reminded when I do hear Richard Diamond of every time of the how bad I feel for news anchors that have to go from this horrific story and then segue into the lost puppy story or the feature story and how they make him, you know, turn to a different camera and it's a really Difficult maneuver to make. And it is interesting. Interesting, I don't know if it's the right word. It is jarring at a certain point that, okay, uh, we solved that, and nobody's recovering emotionally
2: at all. But there is an in-universe explanation for that in this episode. This is toxic masculinity. <laughs> it is established today. <laughs> uh, Richard Diamond and the uh, police... Uh, lieutenant cannot deal with their emotions after this situation they have to yell at each other and sing a song like men yes (laughs) and that's how they cope
0: yeah that's exactly how my football team uh, in college ran
3: (laughs) after every loss we sang one of the reasons why i wanted to bring it was because there's especially this particular episode has is so bizarre i I thought it would elicit a fun discussion just because it's like it's got your light-hearted Dick Powell stuff. It's got like a surprisingly intense hostage situation that involves like a potential bombing of a government building. And then it's got the the singing. But then it's got like a weird commentary about like toxic masculinity and like the way men express emotions and feelings. And it's like it's a pretty unusual detective. It's not really a detective story, too. It's a
2: hostage negotiation story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I- the psychologist actually comments on that in the story. He tells... Diamond, that you're having a hard time because this isn't your usual puzzle. I was wondering to what degree this is a real aberration. This is the
1: first episode of Richard Diamond I've listened to, although people have told me a lot that I needed to listen to it. Um, But then listening to it, it seemed like this is not hard-boiled in the way at all that it's been described or its reputation stands. Like, this is a guy who just is talking to his therapist. Like, I went to this therapist and I'm talking to him. He didn't really have a fist fight with anybody. He just played some music.
3: It's, it's a pretty It's a pretty unusual, I mean, it's not a typical Richard Diamond episode because I've, I've listened to most of them. What's nice about Richard Diamond is that it's survived. Most of the episodes are pretty decent quality. You can listen to, I think, almost every single one, if not all of the ones that were broadcast. What I like about the series is that it's sometimes pretty typical, you know, Raymond Chandler inspired detective work. And then sometimes they'll do an episode like this where it's, again, I think it's sometimes ahead of its time they'll do, you know, more of a suspenseful killer on the loose kind of stuff. Or in this case, it almost reminds me of like Dennis Hopper in Speed or something. It feels like more like a rogue cop trying to track down the maniacal killer kind of thing that we would see later in culture. So it seemed like they were willing to experiment a little bit. That was another thing I liked about it It was I I was expecting that to be some trick
1: in in trying to outwit this bomber, there'd be some way to get around him to overpower him to something. But the therapist said, "Like, no. Even if you somehow get the management to of a building, it's not going to stop him. You actually do have to play into his psychology in a way that is completely different than any sort of suspense or detective story. Of you, like, you just have to play the mind game with him."
2: And I, I think it was interesting because that took away a lot of options for Diamond when he got that information. So it ratchets up the tension, but it also gets rid of a lot of ideas that I was having. Like, oh, you get someone to play the corpse. Of the mayor, because in a really ghoulish demand, the bomber says, I want to see the body in here. You need to bring me the mayor's dead body. You should have
0: been there, Joshua. That's a really good idea.
2: (laughs) But the Shrinks analysis that he's going to blow the building up no matter what negates all that troubleshooting. And keeps things in a really a, a realm of I, I'm not going to say naturalism because it's highly stylized and has a lot of that 19 late 40s early 50s uh, psycho babble stuff <laughs> that I tried to track some of these diagnoses. I'm like, this makes zero sense. But it is a more direct plot where he has to talk this guy down somehow.
0: It seems to me, for me, in the last especially three four five years, that I am finding a hard time being okay with the fiction of that situation because it's not like, oh, this is just a hero story where the hero saves the day. It's, oh my God, this is horrific. He's got a bomb. And it's too real. You know, it's like fiction has become too real. And so I struggle all of a sudden with these fictionalized scenarios like hostage, bomb, make the political person kill themselves, all of those things. My question
1: to you guys is... Am I getting old? See, I almost wonder if if it's the opposite, that it was that same way then, and then there's, in the intervening years, it seemed less and less real, and it's, so its impact has lessened until
3: now. That was what I was wondering, is if at the time was this actually quite dark and edgy, you know, before the ensuing decades, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s of, you know, where they started exploring darker villains who had larger scale political motivations and that became more common did people become desensitized to this because it started showing up in fiction as people started trying to push the envelope was this actually a really disturbing idea back then because it wasn't as common to hear in fiction i i do wonder
2: that this was an era in radio that they were beginning to adopt more naturalistic real life scenarios things that dragnet popularized and, and i think dragnet isn't just The dialogue and the way the story was presented, but they wanted this idea of stories ripped from the headlines. And there is, I think it's like the seventh or eighth episode of Dragnet is essentially this plot. It's a mad bomber at City Hall that Joe Friday has to talk down. Even the bomb setup is really similar. Um, So I don't know which one came first. I think the Dragnet, but I would tend to think it's this embrace of the hard-boiled aesthetic that is both on one level with dialogue heightened and not naturalistic at all but in the actual crimes and the villainy it is more real world as opposed to some of the more far-fetched suspense stories that are usually convoluted murder plots and this is just pretty much a straightforward like tim said hostage negotiation
0: i'm just finding myself more and more with a realistic scenario like i can watch thanos And just be like, this was super fun and not be worried about anything. But when I see more and more, when I see or watch or listen to things that are real that could really happen, my comfortability level is getting really thin. Like it's just reminding me of things. I guess I didn't know I could be triggered. (laughs) I know that word, right? But I I find myself. Now
2: you've triggered me by using the word trigger.
0: (laughs) But I'm finding myself thinking about all of these real life things. Here in Minnesota, we just had a bombing two days ago in a a town not far from Minneapolis. So the question I'm having is, am I the only one that's starting to struggle with those and I need really like fantasy scenarios? Or does the real life ones not bother you anymore? And I think Evan's right. I may have been desensitized to them over the years, but now they're having an impact.
3: No, I feel it, too. Again, this reminds me less of an early 50s plot and more of something from the, the 80s or 90s. It does feel like a lethal weapon or a diehard. And you, know, you go back and watch those movies, and they sort of are very cavalier about terrorism. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, the narrative trick of a bomb, especially a time bomb, is like, that's really useful narrative-wise, except
2: for it's a bomb, and that's horrible. This reminded me of 24, which is you know, not super recent, I guess within the last 20 years. I mean, even down to a terrorist demanding to see the body of someone who he's demanded to be killed. I think that's something straight out of 24. And although they don't do this in real time, Edwards is very careful to keep track of the passage of time throughout this, which is another thing that reminded me of 24. He finds all sorts of clever ways to make sure you know what time it is and how close we are to the deadline. So a little sidebar on
1: the how they keep track of the time. The comment of, we're 20 minutes into our hour, have you just been sitting in Central Park thinking of stuff? <laughs> I, I laughed because i pretty close. That's... <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was having an issue with the time frame thing, going to the record store, going to the doctor's office and giving the time because I was like, are they all in the same building? Because you are moving fast Uh, And it's interesting because you could have not painted yourself into such a crazy corner Give them three hours.
2: If there's any radio show that I'm going to believe that there is the police station next door to the psychologist next door to the record store, (laughs) it's Richard Diamond. That is a prime neighborhood.
0: Yeah. It's a nice apartment. You got your therapist right here. You got a record store right here. (laughs) It was
2: before before they brought
3: in all the franchises and New York lost its soul. Right. (laughs) There were two spots where there were weird details that were highlighted.
1: One of them was... When he's making a phone call, he says, no, no, you're on the same line as me. Use a different line. Like, why was that a thing? And then the other was when they're like, you plug the strike player in. You don't wind it.
2: Yeah. The first one was just because they wanted to set up a three-way call because the next scene has all three of them on the same call because the psychologist whose office diamond is in says, okay, now you can go pick up that line because I've got the other psychologist online and we can all have a magical three-way conversation.
0: Stop saying three-way
2: <laughs> or magical three-way <laughs> or conversation. Well, I enjoy Richard Diamond in my own way. It's a
3: magical three-way, okay? I wrote down that little comment about the you're on, you're on my line, Rick, or whatever, and I just wrote down fun dragnet because I think that's that's why I like that's why I like Richard Diamond is because it's they kind of have that those sort of like realistic details, those little asides and comments and little things of world building things that make you feel like it's a little bit more real, but it's also f- more fun. Like you've got Dick Powell and you've got more jokes and you've got singing at the end. So that was just something I wrote down. I wrote down fun dragnet, but it was that moment specifically that little aside that made me write it down.
1: There's an episode of dragnet where Joe Friday just sat down and played the piano for a little bit at the end. That would
3: <laughs> be awesome. He just grunted instead of singing.
0: <laughs> Please help me with this one too. I can't follow what he did at the end to not set the bomb off. I can't either. Okay, good. What happened? He broke some glass and what? He cut his finger off and put it on the trigger?
2: I think it was all set up to have some foley for his action at the end. Because what he has is a glass box the bomber has made just so he can see his own handiwork. It Points to his ego, so I think that's a nice bit of writing. And behind the glass box is the trigger and the um, cap, and his hand is pulling the trigger. And so the whole function of the glass box, I think, from a radio production standpoint, is when Diamond grabs for it, we get to hear Diamond punch through the glass to get his hand between the hammer and the cap that sets off the explosion. Otherwise, it would just be some heavy breathing and a grunt, which isn't as exciting as the glass breaking. (laughs) And then it also gives us the cut finger gag at the end.
0: That's what I wasn't following. He punches through, and before the hammer can hit the cap, his hand gets in the way. That's what happens.
3: Yeah, because I was envisioning the trigger and the cap being outside the box, like a
1: little handy held sort of thing.
3: I listened to it a couple of times, and I think once it made sense for me is when I realized that the hammer is probably like a real hammer that the box is big enough for it to be like a heavy hammer that's going to swing down and hit a cap so you can stick <laughs> your hand in and prevent it that because they were talking about it like it was a gun hammer but i think it's a uh, like a hardware store hammer that swings down and hits
2: <laughs> so you thought of it more like a warner brothers kind of rube <laughs> it's, goldberg yeah, so time it's an, bomb thing <laughs> <a> animaniacs <laughs> bomb. Yes. yeah
0: so yeah do you guys know about bolero by the way I know the tune. I don't know the story of it. It was it. hated and panned mercilessly when it was first debuted in 1243. I don't know what And
2: they're like, it. "Sounds like a time bomb about to go off." I hate it.
0: I love Bolero, but it is the most divisive classical piece of music probably ever. You either love it or you are appalled by it—the repetitiveness <laughs> of it.
2: I think it was a great choice because oh, yeah. it's highly recognizable. It has the ridiculous build. So this yep. diegetic music that is part of the scene plays the same function as background music that heightens the tension. It was it's perfect for it. It was perfect. Oh, but uh, there might be an actual nod in the script to what you're saying, Eric, uh, because there's that funny line when Diamond is deciding what record where he decides on Ravel and the record clerk goes... Oh, no wonder. I love that whole scene because he's been pretty cavalier about the ticking
3: clock Richard Diamond has (laughs) until that scene when it's literally like he's got 15 minutes left and he suddenly gets really tense. And I love that scene because she thinks he's a pretentious classical music (laughs) fan who's just being rude because he's pretentious and he's really, really stressed about getting out of there quickly. I love the tension between them and I love the performances in that scene.
2: I love that we find out uh, what happened to Lena Lamont from Singing in the Rain after her <laughs> silent film career crash. <laughs> she sounds exactly like Lena Lamont in Singing in, in the Rain.
0: Yeah, she does. That's very true.
2: <laughs> I can't stand it.
0: Right. Uh, yeah. He very easily could have showed her the badge, grabbed the record and the turntable and ran out and just said, I don't have time for this banter. I know it doesn't make for great radio, but just leave. Uh, your buddy's about to blow up. Let's go, let's go. No,
1: no, no, I, I'll think of a good one. I'll think of a good one. Wait.
2: <laughs> uh, I like that Eric's version of this script would just be running feet. Yep. And like, <laughs> no dialogue. And
0: screaming. <laughs> I don't know, you do something.
2: Uh, oh, did Tim just go away? Tim just went away. All right, Evan, you're the new host.
3: <laughs> oh, Richard Diamond Hour. <laughs>
0: Tim lost power, so we don't have Tim's opinion anymore. But Joshua and I have decided that we're going to continue recording and tell you what Tim (laughs) thought. Uh, But Evan, while we were dealing with that, brought up a good point. Let's just touch on this quickly. That moment where he says, I thought I'd come back and beat you up. Uh, Yep, that was one of those moments where you got to go, hope. Just move on. That's part of the the era, I guess. You got to, what do you say, Joshua, all the time? You got to put it in context of history.
2: I mean, you don't have to. I choose to. <laughs> <laughs> We're all individuals and we can do as we please. But yeah, it, it was kind of startling. Yeah. Um, I find that easier to deal with. That is clearly these two people who adore each other and it's this banter between uh-huh. them. Because I'm guessing all of us with our significant others have banter that if a broadcast on radio and taken out of context yeah oh absolutely (laughs) Um, would shock and appall people um so while yes we would certainly not make a joke about that today i prefer that over like actual tense situations in which a character who you're supposed to like threatens to slap some woman or something like that and it just moves on here it's at least meant in playful banter no matter how um off it is from our day and age
0: is a little jarring but you're absolutely right joshua that it is intended as playful banter and if i stop and think about some of the stuff my wife and i say to each other and then laugh really hard because we play we, we call it what if or worst case scenario uh, and like what's the worst thing you could say right now i mean and then makes us laugh because it's so horrible so yeah let's put it in that context way to back write it Perfect.
3: <laughs> does that help you, Evan? That actually does help. I couldn't reconcile it because I was just like, well, I'm just going to like make my own version of that where I erase those 10, <laughs> 10 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> yeah.
2: And I think that's totally legit too. <laughs> I've got the files, yeah. Right, right. Uh, uh, before we uh, take this to the vote, I just want to mention that uh, Blake Edwards writes some really funny dialogue in the like goofy parts of this. I love it when Richard Diamond gets called on his joke being bad at the top And he says I, I can't be witty And handsome At the same time That is just Perfect Dick Powell And when Sergeant Otis uh, Wants to talk to him And he says I'll be damned If I'm gonna teach him how That's why I love Richard Diamond so much Is, is the dialogue writing in the, in the banter Him
3: and Helen Him and Sergeant Otis Those are the best moments In the, the series Well if
0: uh, No one else has any thoughts I'm sure Tim doesn't
2: <laughs> I hope Tim's okay He said The power is out as an entire block and it's like negative 30 degrees out.
0: Well, if we wrap this up, we could probably call him and see if he needs help or not.
2: I don't want to call him. Nah. I don't want to bug him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I got things to do. If we throw this to the vote, uh Evan, you were absolutely right. At the end of this, I went, that was super enjoyable. I knew exactly what happened. It was a guy and he did this <laughs> and he went there and he did that and he did this. And yeah, the time frame wasn't exactly accurate. And yeah, there's five minutes of song. I think the acting is phenomenal. The production value is really good. Not only is it clear, unlike some old-time radio shows where we have to struggle to listen to the quality, but, I mean, just the actual production of the Foley, I I think it's directed really well. It moves at a great clip. You can picture just about everything except the fact that a hand went into the box and stopped the hammer. That was the only thing I didn't quite get. So, overall, I really, really enjoyed it. And, again, Evan, you were dead on right. When I can walk away and say... Yeah, I understood what happened. And then i to have a conversation about Joshua about, you know, Nietzsche or (laughs) or, or, or some other philosopher that I haven't read. (laughs) (laughs) So I will not call it a classic, but I will say it definitely stands the test of time, especially in the genre that it is. And I'm going to listen to some more Richard Diamond for sure.
2: Oh, I really, really love this, Evan. Thank you for bringing it. I am a sucker for... Productions like this that take incongruous styles or tones and somehow make them work. And there's an added sort of meta textual level here because the incongruous styles are the two styles of Dick Powell as an actor. Um, and so there's this extra sort of self awareness about it that I think is great. I think, as I mentioned earlier, some of the psychoanalysis stuff maybe doesn't stand the test of time, is a, a little dated. But everything else about it, I think, feels very contemporary. The framing sequences with Diamond and Helen, to me, I think would be very accessible to a modern audience. I mean, and sadly, as Eric mentioned, so is political violence. (laughs) So, (laughs) In many ways, uh, this definitely stands the test of time. Uh, I don't think it's a classic, but definitely worth a listen. And as an example of early work by Blake Edwards, uh, it's also of a pop culture historical interest as well. Very much so.
0: And Tim's opinion, uh, I'll do it. Uh, I really liked it. (laughs) He's going to be so mad when he hears this. (laughs) I think Tim enjoyed it. I do. I think he liked it a lot. Yeah. I would say this, Joshua. I think they got to the castle. They moved quick. And this moved so quick, they had five minutes at the end to do a song.
2: (laughs) Maybe you'd like every radio show better if they made room for a song, because they would just pick up the pace.
0: Yeah, I think you're on something there. Evan, you brought it, so you love it, so we kind of know where you stand, but tell us where this stands for you in the Richard Diamond world as a fan.
3: I don't know that this is the absolute best Richard Diamond episode ever done. I think the series is a classic. I think it should be held up alongside Suspense and Johnny Dollar and all the other ones that are go-tos. I think the reason I wanted to bring this one is it's, a, it's actually a bit unusual. It's not your typical, you know, finding clues. And there's the femme fatale who turns on him at the end, you know, it's not a typical kind of like Raymond Chandler worship type of script. So I I brought it because I thought it would be a really good discussion. So it might not actually be the most representative or the absolute best Richard Diamond ever done. But I think it's a great way for people to hear how unusual at times Richard Diamond is how they take risks, how great Dick Powell is and how as a series, it's worth kind of delving into and finding the the gems that are there.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, as has happened frequently of the four or five years we've been doing this, I have discovered so many things I didn't know I liked. And this is another one. Like I have time for another thing on my list to do. But Richard Diamond is on my list. <laughs> Thank you so much, Evan. All right. Tim, tell him stuff. We got no Tim. Wait. <laughs> who's going to... What does Tim usually say, Joshua? He's like
2: go to ghoulish delights we have all sorts of stuff there you can contact us you can do stuff i usually halfway through lose the thread (laughs) only it's cute
0: <laughs> Tim's not going to enjoy this episode at all. Uh, Tim says stuff about going to ghoulishlights.com and all of our social media presence, and I don't know what any of those are, but I'm pretty sure it's just TikTok, right? We're just on TikTok?
2: Yeah, just on TikTok. Pretty much 24-7, right. Tim is just dancing, dancing his little middle-aged man heart out on TikTok. So. <laughs> Look for him there. Uh, you can also go to patreon.com slash themorals and be like Evan. You can support this podcast. We really do appreciate it, and uh, you might even end up on the podcast. Uh, So, yeah, go there. There's a lot of great stuff, isn't there, Evan? I'm going to put you on the spot. I legitimately wear my t-shirt regularly. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, we will clothe you, listeners, just... support this podcast uh we don't supply pants those bring your own pants right byop uh but other than that we got you covered yeah uh you can also go to itunes and write a review we we've got a lot of reviews some of the negative ones finally after four years are starting to seep in which there's a good sign it means more people are listening um so definitely go in there fight some of the the cranky people uh some there are like two or three uh we're just super sensitive go to itunes and write a five-star review for us we really do appreciate it
0: thank you so much for keeping that away from me i'm so glad to not know that those exist i don't want (laughs) to know what they said i'm sure it's all about me he's terrible get rid of that guy uh also if you'd like to see us perform old-time radio drama we do original work plus We do uh, recreations and adaptations of classic radio shows live on stage. However, during this being 2021 and pandemic-y stuff going on, for those of you that are on the internet in the future, uh, uh, (laughs) we are not currently on stage with our partner, Park Square Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota, but we do still do monthly shows uh, where we do them online. And we are going to be doing original work, as I said, and adaptations of classics. Just go to parksquaretheater.org to see our stage theater radio drama stuff. Parksquaretheater.org, or you can go to uh for any and all of this information and links to everything. Evan, thank you again so, so much for being here and, and not writing terrible things on our reviews.
3: <laughs> Thanks. I, I really enjoyed it, guys. Thank you so much. I've been a fan for a long
2: time, so this was really special. Oh, it was great to have you. you very much.
3: All right, Joshua,
2: what are we doing next? Next uh, is another one of my picks. It is He Who Follows Me from Hall of Fantasy. Until then... Look out!
1: Guys, power's back on. Oh, man. Sorry. Okay, to pick up where I was left off. um, Guys? Um, you know, I don't know if I call it a classic, but uh, it was really good and I enjoyed it and I want to listen to some more Richard Diamond. Um, But, oh, I bet, you yeah. know. Okay, guys. I'll talk to you later.